Let's turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to read together the first 10 verses of the chapter. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith As ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit After the tradition of men After the rudiments of the world And not after Christ For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Amen. May the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. The verses reads as follows, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And my theme today is considering your completeness in Christ. So you've got the text, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, and the theme, considering your completeness in Christ. Now, the book of Colossians in our New Testament is one of Paul's prison letters. It was written by the Apostle Paul in about 62, 63 AD from his prison house in Rome. One day Paul was visited by a man called Epaphras. It's widely believed that he was the pastor at the church of Colossae in the Lucas Valley in eastern Turkey. And he informed Paul of the controversy facing the church at Colossae and no doubt the other churches that were nearby, Laodicea and Herapolis. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this very important, very Christological letter to this church. And this letter highlights and showcases the preeminence of Christ. And I dealt with that a few Wednesday nights ago in the Bible study. Christ is all and in all. That Christ alone is the foundation of all true doctrine. That Christ is the motive of all true godliness. 
That, that, that Christ is the message of all true preaching. That Christ is the object of all true worship. You see, the book of Colossae is all about Christ. Christ is our glorious Savior. Christ is the sole head and king of the church. It sets forth who Christ is. The position he now occupies in heaven. What he has done for sinners on earth. And how relevant Christ is even in the 21st century. And as the Apostle Paul presented Christ, set Christ forth to the church at Colossae, he very carefully, skillfully, deals a death blow to the many strange doctrines, ideas, and notions being taught in Colossae by false teachers. Now, at the heart of this heresy in Colossae was a particular teaching called Gnosticism. That is, people pretending to have a superior knowledge than others. I have got a better knowledge than you. A superior intellectualism, a superior wisdom that's been hidden from others, but has been given to a select few. These Gnostics had a high regard for the worshipping of angels. They also had a very big contempt for the body. They believed in a life of asceticism, a life of self-denial. They believed that all matter was intrinsically evil. So evil lived in matter. And from it they concluded that God could not be the creator of anything material. And they also invented intermediators between a holy God and sinful men. Then they called these intermediaries emanations. And they said these emanations were the instruments of communication between man and God. And these intermediaries, these emanations, were the object of worship. They also added into the mix the mindset that holiness is gained by a strict application of the law of Moses. So they called for a life of self-denial, a life of strict mortification of the body, um, even a mutilation of the body, beating the body, doing penance, abstinence from food, etc. And added to this was another cocktail of Greek mythology and mysticism and superstition. And as a result of this false teaching, by these false teachers, many believers in the church at Colossae were starting to believe Christ is not God. Christ is not God in the flesh. There is no doctrine then of the incarnation and the virgin birth. They believed that all matter is evil. And earthly beings therefore couldn't approach God directly. And, and a holy God couldn't approach earth directly. So, so we need these angelic creatures and their powers. They started to believe that a greater and deeper life could be had apart from Christ. They didn't deny Christ. They were dethroning him. They didn't reject him. They were relegating him. There is something more deeply satisfying than Christ. And you could get this superior wisdom. You could get this superior knowledge from these Gnostics. And you could have it apart from Christ. 
So in their hearts and minds, they were putting Christ into an inferior place, an inferior position. And so starting to engage in ritualism, holy days were set aside, special diets, external rules, all to be better accepted by God. They embraced superstition, candles, icons, pilgrimages, fastings, the worsening of his angels. The mindset was, well, I can't come to God directly because I'm not good enough to come to God directly. I am evil. I am sinful. But I need an angel. So in the face of such heresy, rocking the church, the apostle Paul sets forth the supremacy and superiority of Christ. Look at our text. For in him, Dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, here's Paul's answer to this attack on the church at Colossae. He preached Christ. And here's how to deal with any heresy. The presentation of the personal work of Christ. And if a man is wrong here on the personal work of Christ, then it doesn't matter what else he has to say. If he's wrong about Christ, then it doesn't matter what he says, even if it's right. You see, true Bible belief in Christianity is Christ. And Christ is true Bible belief in Christianity. And every true wise preacher will preach Christ. The true essential deity of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, the blood atonement of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, the the true humanity of Christ, the material nature of the body of Christ. He had a real true flesh and blood body. It wasn't a phantom body. The priesthood of Christ, the kingship of Christ, the lordship of Christ, the return of Christ. You see, any doctrine that denies Christ, then we could ask the question, Well, what did Christ say? What did Christ teach? What did Christ believe? Let me illustrate for you this morning. Suppose someone says, well, I believe in Christ, but I deny the doctrine of hell. Modern man cannot be expected to believe in a God who sits as judge and sentences men and women to hell. But I believe in Christ. Well, what did Christ say? In Matthew chapter 10, 28, fear not them which can kill the body, but rather fear him that has power to throw both body and soul into hell. You see, this morning, I believe in a Christ who is God in the flesh, who took a real true humanity into union with his essential deity. I believe in the Christ who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived a sinless life, who died an atoning death, who rose again the third day from the the dead. I believe in a Christ today who is on the throne of the universe. That's his rightful place. He created the world. He controls the world. In fact, all the world is held together by him. And I believe in a Christ who believed in a literal eternal punishment in hell. I asked this morning, do you know him? Have you received him? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Have you come to him by faith? And cried out, Lord, save me, I perish. Look at our text now. There's three things here. 
I want you to see, first of all, the fullness of God in Christ. If you look with me at verse 8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Notice the last word of verse 8. It's Christ. For. And that word for means because in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now that word complete in verse 10 has the idea of fullness. Literally, ye are in him filled full. I was reading recently Sidlow Baxter, a book entitled The Unfolding Drama of Redemption, and read what he had to write about the church at Colossae. And he said in verse 9 and 10, there's two ideas or two concepts. And I can think of no better than to give you this morning to illustrate the meaning of this text. All the fullness of God is in Christ. And all the fullness of Christ is for us. You see, we are in him filled full. Now that's powerful. That's very suggestive. You think this morning of the fullness of the Godhead. Look at our text. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You see, Jesus Christ, if we ask the question, who is he? The answer is, he's God in the flesh. Notice the word Godhead in verse 9. It's twice used in the New Testament. Romans 1 and 20. The context teaches that it's a reference to the sum total of all the attributes of God. Natural and moral. And here in Colossians 2 and verse 9. But it's not merely to do with the attributes of God. It has to do with the essence or the nature or the being of God seen in Christ essentially and absolutely. And you see, here's a glorious truth this morning that's overshadowed and overlooked by many. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. That's the teaching of the Bible. Do you know in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, one of his titles, one of his names is, and he shall be called the mighty God. Remember what the angel Gabriel said to Joseph, thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which by interpretation is God with us. That's the, the meaning of the word Emmanuel, Matthew 1 and 23. Don't we read there in John's gospel, in John chapter 1 and in verse 1 and 2, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning. With God all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Did you know that Paul in Romans chapter 9 and verse 5 affirms the essential deity of the Lord Jesus? Listen to what he says. Whose are the fathers? And of whom is concerning the flesh Christ came? Who was over all God blessed forever. Amen. You see, that, that text affirms the essential deity of Christ. In 1 Timothy 3.16, we read, 
Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. You see, modern translations try to change this text. But to me, the text is unassailable. Let me ask you, what is the mystery of godliness? Where would the mystery of godliness be if a man was manifest as a man? Or a man was manifest in the flesh? Or or where would the, the mystery of godliness be if an angel was manifest in the flesh? The text says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Modern translations change it to he. They they want to rob Christ of his essential deity. And if Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, then we have a wonderful saviour. We have a great redeemer. But if he's not, then we're still in our sins. Then we're doomed. And oh, that we can understand that when we think about the babe in Bethlehem's manger, that babe was God incarnate. Now, I don't fully understand it. And I have no doubt, neither do you. And I can't fully explain it. But I want to try and appreciate it. I want to realize Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The fullness of the Godhead. Could I tell you something else? You've got the fullness of his glory. See, this reference is about the exclusive nature of his fullness. Paul is denouncing here the heresy of the Gnostics. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily resides in Christ. Not a bit of it, not a part of it. Christ is not one of these angels, not one of these emanations supposedly from God. The glory of the Godhead is not distributed in part to Christ. The text says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You see, there are those today that teach, well, there's a part of the Godhead in Christ. But there's a part in Muhammad, that false prophet of Islam. (coughs) And there's a part in Buddha. And a part in Confucius. Because all religions lead to God. I want to tell you, Muhammad, Buddhist, Confucius, they're full of death and darkness. They're they're, they're full of depravity. Only Christ in the world said, I am the light of the world. Notice this word bodily. A real body. Not a phantom body. Notice this word dwelleth. It means settle down to dwell. Could I tell you that The Lord Jesus could say when he thought about the Godhead bodily in all its fullness residing in him that this was his fixed abode. Not a temple. Not the tabernacle. He settled down to dwell eternally and substantially in a real human body. And he did it permanently. He did it irreversibly. He did it by an act of God when he took our humanity into union with his own essential deity. And he did it forever. You see, that's why God can't be known apart from Jesus Christ. 
God can't be known without Jesus Christ this morning. Remember he said to Philip, Philip said, show us the Father. And what does he say in John 14? He says, he that have seen me have seen the Father. And he that knows me has known the Father. Why? Because he's in the Father. And the Father's in him. The exclusive nature of his fullness. Also this morning, think about the fullness of his grace. We're thinking about the fullness of God in Christ. What have we got in Christ? In Christ we've got a complete redemption. Redemption has been bought and paid for in full by Jesus Christ. That's why we were singing worthy as the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. And Paul could say in this very letter, in chapter 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He says in Colossians 1 and verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. You know, one day a man came to D.L. Moody at the end of a gospel campaign, very last night when they were packing up, putting away the chairs, about to put the lights out. And this man come to D.L. Moody and he says, Mr. Moody, I've come to make peace with God. D.L. Moody says, you're too late. It's been already made. And the man stood there speechless and he said, but I want to get saved. I, I want to make peace with God. And D.L. Moody says, but it's already been made. And he turned him to Colossians 1 and 20 and having made peace through the blood of his cross. He says, you have nothing to make peace with God with. You're a sinner and you need to repent and you need to receive Christ. And he had the joy of pointing that man to trust in the finished work of Christ. Why? Because Christ made a complete redemption. Do you know that in Christ we have complete regeneration? Many preachers today urge people to see themselves as part of the family of God. People are urged to see God as Father. But I want to tell you this morning, God is not the Father of all men. To say that God is the father of all men and we're all part of the family of God, that's not the gospel. Oh, God is the creator of all men and he gives life and breath to all men. But that doesn't make them part of the family. How did you get into your family? How did I get into mine? The answer is by the new birth. You were born into the family. And before God can be father or heavenly father, the Bible teaches you must be born again. You've got to be born into God's family. And if you're not of the family of God, then you're of your father the devil, the Lord Jesus said. As preachers, we've got to preach Christ to men who are lost. Men who are in their sin. Men who need to be regenerated by the power of the Spirit of God. That's the message for every sinner. There's a complete regeneration, but it's in Christ through the instrumentality and work of the Spirit. There's a complete reconciliation. God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The doctrine of reconciliation, we'll deal with it some Sunday evening. It's a tremendous doctrine. What about the doctrine of complete reception in Christ? We've got a full and free forever justification, a legal declaration by the court of heaven. 
A full and free pardon from each and every sin, past, present and future. A full and free liberty to enjoy Christ. See, understand from this text this morning, the fullness of God in Christ. The fullness of his God, the fullness of glory, the fullness of grace. I'm only scratching the surface. But I want you to see something else secondly. I want you to see the fulfillment of God in Christ. I'm going to ask the question this morning. What is the only thing that can satisfy you in this life? And there's only one answer. Jesus Christ. Now listen to me carefully. Jesus Christ came into this world and said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Philippians 1 and 21, Paul, another prison letter in the line of Colossae and Ephesians and Philemon. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now listen to me carefully. There's no true fulfillment in life apart from Christ. We are only made full in Christ. You can't find satisfaction, contentment, and enjoyment in anyone else or anything else but Christ. Young people, they're asking the question, why am I here? What is my purpose and goal in life? What is the meaning of life? What is my life all about? Surely there's more to life than sleeping and eating and working and then resting and repeating the cycle six or seven days a week and engaging in the odd hobby. Where could you find peace of mind? Where could you find true happiness? Where could you find joy? The answer is Christ. We're going to sing in closing, now none but Christ can satisfy. You see, you can't find contentment and enjoyment in people, even in human relationships. Could you say this morning, I need someone in my life to be fulfilled? whether it be a a wife, whether it be another family member or a friend. You'll not find it in power. You could be the Queen of England. You could be the King of Denmark or some other country. You'll not find in contentment and enjoyment, in power. You'll certainly not find it in possessions. See, some people think, well, I need a new job to be satisfied. Well, I need a new home. What about a new car? What what about money? Let me be a billionaire like Donald Trump. You're not going to find it in pleasure. Sinful pleasure, young people. Drugs and drink and parties. You'll not find it in places you could travel the world. You could be a world traveler all over different countries every week. You're not going to find enjoyment and contentment in places. You'll certainly not find it in a pursuit of the life of sin And depravity before God. Would you be happy? Would you be more fulfilled and content? You see, you have a void inside you. You have an emptiness. Because you were made for God. You were built for God. Well, what is our purpose? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You're looking for fulfillment and satisfaction and enjoyment in the wrong places. 
in people and power and possessions and pleasure and places in pursuit of a life of sin. Let it be drink or drugs or whatever, and you're not going to find it. You're not discovering it. Why? Because it's only in Christ. Maybe I could go a wee bit further this morning. You're in Christ. You're a Christian. You've been born of the Spirit. You're washed in the blood. And you're asking, how can I live the Christian life? And you know there's an answer. You know what the answer is? It's Christ. Oh, that we could catch on to that. You see, way back in the 18th century, there was a movement called the Oxford Movement. They were sort of a group of high Anglicans, more like Roman Catholics. And they had this slogan. Now listen to me carefully. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's how you live that counts. Have you ever heard that? Doesn't matter what you believe, it's how you live that counts. Sounds good, isn't it? I want to tell you it's a lie. It's from the pit. It's a false premise. You see, the church is plagued today with sermons and how to pray better and how to read your Bible better and how to obey God and how to love your wife and how to be a good father and how to raise a family. And yet, in the 21st century, with more marriage breakups, with more family problems, with more personal problems, with more financial struggles, God's people are struggling with sin. They're struggling with obedience. They, they struggle with fear. They've got trials. They've got faith problems. Why? Because the Christian life cannot be lived on how to do. That's information. The Christian, the true Christian life, can only be lived as that individual feeds by faith in Jesus Christ. See, trying to live without Jesus Christ ends in disaster. Because Christianity is Christ. And Christ is the living embodiment of Christianity. And that's why I asked you at the start, have you got a personal, vital relationship with Jesus Christ? You ponder this. What is Christ? Who is Christ? I'm using an illustration from Dr. Kearns. He asked God's people to pretend that you're a motor car. So you can you do that this morning? Pretend you're a motor car. Maybe a Jaguar, because I like a Jaguar car. And think in that car, you've got a sealed tank of petrol... You can't put any more in because it's sealed. It's always full, so it's never empty. And you can drive for miles, and your petrol tank is never going to go down. Your, your gauge is going to show full. And suppose you're driving. Let's say you're driving away in Scotland, maybe uh, the North 500, and um, your, your car starts spluttering, and it's jumping, uh, and it's stalling. What's wrong with the car? Your, your petrol gauge says that the petrol tank shows that it's full. So you take it to a specialist. He wants to tell you how to drive the car. He's going to say there's a fault with the battery. Or there's a fault with the alternator. Or, or there's a fault with the, 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 the spark plugs. In older cars, they used to have a carbonator, and they, they said that it was the carburetor that was at fault. But you know what the fault is? The line from the tank to the engine or to the fuel injectors is blocked. 
And it's as simple as that. You clear the line to the tank, and then the car will stop spluttering and stop jumping and stalling. And you see, once you begin to know the fullness of God in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead, the fullness of glory, the fullness of grace, and you discover that a life of fulfillment and satisfaction and contentment is only found in Christ, and and you clear the line by faith uh, from all known sin, then you begin to live life to the full. There's nothing else worth living for, only Christ. So that's my second thought. And my final thought is this, the foundation of God in Christ. Notice the end of the text, it says, which is the head of all principality and power. Can I tell you this morning, if you're here and you're still in your sins, all you need is Christ. We we have never preached the church to you. We haven't said, oh, you must join the church. We haven't given you a list of rules and regulations and said you must do this or must do that. We haven't invited you to embrace the traditions of men. We we haven't asked you to engage in any ceremony. We haven't presented to you the, the doctrines or the commandments of men. I haven't said, well, you must live a life of asceticism, a life of self-denial, a life of a mystic. I haven't set before you human philosophy. You see, here's the point this morning. Now, I want you to grasp this, because the foundation is very, very important. And if you could grasp this this morning, whether you're still in your sins, all you need is Christ. And if you're a saint this morning, struggling to live the Christian life, then I want to say also, all you need is Christ. And any preacher, any church, any denomination that tells you you need something else more than Christ, something plus Christ, then I'm saying that's heresy this morning. It's vain philosophy. It's a dangerous deceit. Such people... Such churches are ashamed of the simplicity of God in Christ. They're ashamed of the superiority of God in Christ. They're ashamed of the supremacy of God in Christ. You see, adding to Christ has plagued the church, hasn't it? Think of these Gnostics, superior knowledge and wisdom. Intellectualism, hasn't that plagued the church? What about... A life of asceticism. You need a special diet. Special days must be observed. What about a life of superstition? You, you, you think of those Roman Catholics in the last Sunday in July claiming Patrick. Why were they doing it bare feet with the blood running out so that they can be accepted by God? So they can be feel that they're they're pleasing God, that that they're doing something to to honor merit from him. And yet all the while, all it is is a superstition action. doesn't matter whether it's going on a pilgrimage, claiming Patrick or lighting a candle or kissing an icon when you come into a building. It's superstition. Why? Because it's saying that Christ is not enough. And whether it's human wisdom, rules and regulations, even rules and regulations in the Free Presbyterian Church, none to do with salvation. Because all you need is Christ. 
Oh, that we could grasp that. That's the foundation of God in Christ. And that's what this church was started on. And that's what we must focus on. And that must be our basis of going forward into the future. I present this message to you this morning. Consider the completeness of God in Christ. The fullness of God is in Christ. The fulfillment of a life of God is in Christ. And the foundation for the church, the the Christian, it's all in Christ. All you need this morning is Christ. And I finish with Paul's words. In Acts 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. Only one name, Christ. May the Lord bless this word to you. Pray over this word if you can. Encourage others to listen if you can. It's a very important message today.